Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. The title of my message this morning is Dreams, Droughts and Destinies. Everyone say dreams, droughts and destinies. You know, it says in the Bible in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Who knows that verse? Give us a wave. Yeah, there's a few people. So one of my favorite verses in the Bible. You know, I believe it. God has great plans for my life. God has great plans for your life. And, uh, and I believe that, uh, that He wants to uh, show us those plans. But who knows sometimes discovering what those plans look like. Not always the, uh, the easiest and most simple path to follow. You know, how do you discover the plans that God has for you? How do you understand what it takes to step in the destiny that God has for your life? Well, well I believe that the Bible gives us answers, gives us some, some solutions. And so we're going to open our Bible this morning to Genesis chapter 37. And we are going to follow and uh, read one of the, the great stories of the Bible. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is the story of Joseph. And uh, many of us would know that story, but maybe some of you uh, maybe haven't, uh, you know, been familiar with it. Well, I'm going to go through it, and uh, we're going to, again, uh, retell the story, because I believe that God wants to speak to us out of the story of Joseph this morning. Are you ready for that? Come on, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time in your Word. Lord, we just thank you that uh, you have a great purpose, a great plan for our lives, and I pray that you would come to encourage us. Lord, to discover what that looks like, the steps that we should take, God, to understand the seasons and the stages of our life, God, that you want to give us dreams, or you want to just place desires in our heart, Lord, for your kingdom glory, God, and we just pray that we would learn, we would discover that as we dive into your word this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, and all these people said, amen. amen. Fantastic. Now, Joseph tells us was the son of Jacob. At that time was the youngest of 11 brothers and had 10 other half-brothers. And at the age of 17, we, we pick up this story. Joseph has a dream. And he tells his brothers in verse 7 of Genesis 37, it says, We were out in a field, Joseph says, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Can you imagine, I don't know, uh, whether you come from a family of having younger or older brothers or sisters. Now, any time that would sort of happen in my family or, you know, as the younger of, uh, of, of myself and, and my older brother, it just wouldn't go down so well. I don't know about you, but uh, it wouldn't go down so well when you, as a younger brother particularly, were telling your older brothers, hey, guys, come gather around. This is exciting. I had a dream. And, and pretty much this is how it goes. I stood up and you guys all bowed down to me. So it continues on. Joseph's brothers already hated him because Jacob, his father, you know, he was the most favored being the youngest in the family. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that Jacob uh, actually made this coat of many colors for Joseph, and he was the favored, the youngest. And so Joseph's brothers come around, and, and again, Joseph tells him a, a second time, I've had this dream. 
And in verse 9, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. I mean, history tells us, would suggest that this was not probably the wisest move, the greatest decision that ever Joseph ever made to, to tell so loudly, boastfully. I don't know whether he was doing it because he was naive. I don't know if he was doing it because as the youngest brother, you know, you use these opportunities to just have a little dig, don't you? Just get back. You know, you use different ways. I was never uh, physically able to match it with my brother, but I just used different ways to just sort of get at him. And then if he would retaliate, he would only retaliate one way, and that would be physical violence. And I would run to my mum, and I would dob on my brother. And she would get out the paddle in those days when that was okay to do that, and uh, give him a walloping. But Joseph's brother's reaction, as we could expect, was not that favorable. And, and they say, what are, you, what are you saying, Joseph? Are you saying that you're going to be a lord over us? You're going to be the king of the land and we're going to bow down to you and reign over us in our lives. And in fact, it goes on uh, even further in the story. But what I, what I realized about a dream is God gives us a dream. And maybe for some people here, you would hear this passage, God has a plan for your life. And you'd think, well, I don't really know what that plan is. And I've been in that place myself. And my encouragement this morning would be first, to inquire of God. Say, God, what is, it that, that, what is this plan that you have for my life? What, you know, I've, I've never had a dream, and I believe that God speaks to us in actual dreams, but maybe God may not give you a dream as such, but He'll start to place desires, interests in your life. And I believe as you begin to pursue them, God will start to unfold His plan and His purpose for your life. Can I get an amen this morning? But here we find with Joseph, God gives him this dream at the age of 17 and doesn't seem to have the maturity to know how to handle it. And I've realized it can be true for us as well that, that sometimes God's purposes, God's dreams, God's plans for our life often come in an infant state, in a seed form. And, and we need to almost grow into those dreams. We need to hold on to the dream, not give it up, but hold on to it until we grow into it. And the same with Joseph, and he finds that it's not the easiest, not the quickest, not the smoothest path that takes him from his dream to his destiny. And Joseph's brother's response is in verse 19, here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let us kill him. A little extreme, by the way, but, you know. Uh, and let's throw him into one of these cisterns. And we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. See, there's always a challenge to our dreams. There's always a challenge and opposition to the plans and purposes God has for your and my life. In verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. And so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. And when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, 
an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph. And so he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. And he put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owns. However, Potiphar's wife begins to look at Joseph lustfully. And it says in verse 11, One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. And she, Potiphar's wife, came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, Come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hands, and he ran, ran from the house. Verse 16, she kept the cloak until her husband Potiphar came home. Then she told him a story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that had happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. We'll continue on. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials and he put them in the prison where Joseph was in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in the prison for quite some time. And the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night. And each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them in the next morning, he noticed that they were both looking, they looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. And they started to tell Joseph the, the story, the dreams they had. The, the chief cupbearer told the story of the, the three vines coming down full of grapes. And as he squeezed the grapes into the cup before Pharaoh. And Joseph, hearing these dreams, said, I know what they mean. I know what this dream means in three days. You'll be reinstated. You'll come back before Pharaoh, and he will reinstate you to the position of chief cupbearer. And it happened exactly as Joseph said. And, and hearing that, the chief, uh, chief baker again he comes to, to Joseph and tells his dream and, 
And his dream was of the three baskets full of pastries. And, and he sees in his dream that it's on top of his head. And, and these birds of the air start to come and pick at the pastries and destroy the pastries in the basket. And Joseph said, I know the interpretation of your dream. In three days, you will also go before Pharaoh. But unfortunately, in three days, he will execute you for what you've done. And it happened as Joseph had said, in three days, the chief baker was executed and the chief cupbearer was again reinstated into the position in Pharaoh's palace. And Joseph has said to the, to the cupbearer, please, when you go back to Pharaoh, tell him about me. I'm an innocent person. I, I didn't do the crimes that, that have been, you know, I've been accused of. Please tell him so that I can be pardoned for these things. But the cupbearer forgot about Joseph. Two years pass, and two years later, Pharaoh himself has his own dreams. He has these dreams of these seven fat cows. And in the distance, rise up these seven scrawny cows, and, and the seven scrawny cows come and eat and devour the seven fat cows. And then he, and then he has another dream about the, the, the grains of, of, of the, the grains, the heads of the grain and the seven plump, full, healthy heads of the grain and behind them were, were seven scrawny, almost dying, wilting heads of the grain that rise up and eat the flourishing, full heads of the grain. And Pharaoh is deeply troubled about this dream and he turns to the wise men turns to his magicians to interpret the dream, but they can't interpret the dream. In fact, no one, none of his officials, no one around the palace can interpret his dream, and it's troubling him. And finally, the chief cupbearer remembers about Joseph, and he speaks to Pharaoh. And we pick it up from Genesis chapter 41, verse 12. It's all right that we're sort of going into detail here because I believe that God wants to speak to us out of the story, out of the life of Joseph, and, and you sort of can't just skim over it because there's a lot of things here. It says in verse 12, there was a, there's a young Hebrew man with us in prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he quickly brought, and he was quickly brought from the prison. And after he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. And we skip down to verse 28, and Joseph replied, this will happen just as I describe it. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there'll be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. 
As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man. I love this. Sort of, you know, Joseph gives a little bit of advice, takes a little further. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all of the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. And Joseph's suggestions were received well by Pharaoh and his officials. And in fact, so well that Pharaoh himself says, who can be more wise in this land than this Hebrew boy who can interpret my dreams? And he elevates, he promotes Joseph to the highest position as the chief officer in his court and in charge of the entire land of Egypt. No one other than Pharaoh himself was greater in Egypt than Joseph. And it happened exactly as Joseph had said. What an amazing story. Joseph, at the age of 17, has a dream. He has a dream, but he's beaten. He's thrown into a pit by his own brothers. He's betrayed and he's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused of rape. He's thrown into jail. He's forgotten about. He's left to rot in jail. And at the age of 30, 13 years after the dream was given to him, Joseph is promoted to the highest place in Pharaoh's palace. And I believe that Joseph arrives into the king's court at just the right time for such a time as this. See, we need to understand that everything that Joseph had gone through had prepared him for this moment. And we need to understand the, the, the metaphor here, the analogy between what Joseph had walked through, dreams, droughts, and destinies, and the very moment that he finds himself in the history of Egypt and the surrounding nations. See, Joseph himself is the answer to what Egypt is going through. Because Joseph knew how to make it through a drought. Joseph knew how to make it through a drought because he'd gone through one himself. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what it would have felt like? I mean, he had lived in a season of understanding what it meant to be living in blessing. To living under the favor of his father. He was the favored one. The coat of many colors was given to him. While his brothers went out to work, he would say, just, just stay with me. I'll look after you. He was the favored one. To the point where he is now finding himself in a position of, of going through years and years, 13 years of a drought, 13 years of a famine, 13 years questioning, God, what is going on? I mean, I wonder what we are like in those situations. I'm not sure what you've gone through. I know people have gone through different things in our church. They've gone through desperate moments. I think about my own life. I think about people that I've encouraged along the journey and, and there's many people that have stayed the course, but sometimes we, we find ourselves 
maybe being guilty or maybe at risk of, of just falling off the path very, very quickly. We start off strong. We start off saying, God, I want to be used by you. We hear a message and a, and a, and a scripture like this, for I have a, the, the plans for your life. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And, and we grab hold of that. But sometimes we start off strong. We start to put things in place. We start to, to, to draw near to God. We start to, yeah, God, I'm going for it. I'm believing in you. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be just starting to prepare myself for what you have. You know, maybe sometimes months go past, let alone years, and it gets a little hard. Why is it taking so long, God? You know, that you spoke to me like a few months ago, and it still hasn't happened. How come I haven't got that promotion? How come I didn't get into that course that I was believing that I was meant to get into? How come I, I'm facing this health situation? How come I, uh, maybe I feel like I've been overlooked? Whatever it is, your case, but we go through these seasons and, but here Joseph for 13 years goes through a drought season, but he knew how to make it even in the famine. He knew how to make it when things weren't going well. He knew how to make it when, when he, even his own family turned their backs on him. He was separated from the people that he loved. He knew how to make it when he was down and out. He knew how to make it when he was falsely accused of, of things. He knew how to make it when he'd been forgotten, when he'd been overlooked. He knew how to survive even in a barren place, even, even in a wilderness season. He knew how to deal with it when he felt empty, like he had nothing left to offer. He knew how to be fruitful, even in a famine. And all of Joseph's life, we need to understand as we read this story, all of these things he went through, it prepared him for this moment. See, what he'd gone through had prepared him for the fight. What he'd gone through had prepared him for the moment. What he'd gone through, he might have thought, man, I've just gone through some bad stuff. So I've, been, I've been dealt a bad blow, a bad hand. He'd had his high moments, and he found himself in a different place, in a different season, in a low season. But what I love about Joseph is he understood that, that, it, that it wasn't the place that determined the dream. It wasn't the season that determined the destiny, but it was the very testing of his dream that in fact prepared him for his destiny. Sometimes a dream comes to you and I. The plans of God come to us. And look, maybe for some, it just sort of goes a fairly quick and easy course, but for a lot of people, in fact, most people, the dream is tested. We go through seasons where maybe a little doubt comes in. Maybe things didn't go to plan. Maybe we're challenged. Maybe we have an opposition. We get persecuted. We suffer through things. But I believe that, you know, we can see it as a problem. We can see it as a letdown. But I believe that we can also see it as an opportunity for something greater and something bigger. Yeah, I find it interesting that on the way to unlocking and discovering his own dream, Joseph becomes not only the interpreter, but also the fulfiller of other people's dreams. I don't know if you get that this morning. On the way to his dream, to his destiny, he has sort of like pause moments, moments where he stops 
And almost to sort of, again, challenge and test his heart to say, hey, would you prepared, be prepared to, to not just even interpret someone else's dream? I, I mean, he could be in a place where he was like, dreams, forget about dreams. They mean nothing. Forget about dreams. I had a dream once. Don't even worry about your dream because it won't come to pass anyway. Do you, want to, do you want me to tell you about my dream? I had a dream that I was being exalted and people were bowing down to me. You know what my experience is since that day is completely the opposite. I've lived in the jail. I've been falsely accused. I've been overlooked. Don't tell me about dreams. But he keeps his heart right. And on the way to discovering his destiny, on the way to having his own dream unlocked and interpreted, Joseph not only becomes the interpreter, but the fulfiller of another man's dream. See, the real test is not how you handle your dream. I believe if we go a little deeper this morning, the real test is how you handle someone else's dream. So you have to first learn how to be faithful when the, when the light shines on someone else's life, someone else's vision, someone else's dream. You need to be able to be faithful to another man's vision. See, this was Pharaoh's problem. This was Egypt's problem. Joseph had no affection, no affiliation, no responsibility towards Pharaoh or Egypt. The only thing he knew about this place was that he was bought out as a slave, thrown into jail, and had served and lived out there. And he was just longing to go back to his homeland, go back to his family, to be restored to his father. But he submits himself. He keeps his attitude right. And I believe there's this verse in the Bible that says a man's gift brings him before kings. Well, I take it further this morning and say it was Joseph's, not just his gift, but it was actually his character, his faithfulness, his determination, his resilience that brought him before Pharaoh that day, his willingness to, to lower his dream, to actually go, you know what? I'm not just looking for an opportunity to be elevated. I'm just not looking for the opportunity for others to serve me, to bow down. But that's what my dream says is going to happen. I'm looking for opportunities to serve. And we see, don't we, throughout that, the course of his life, he's not just shown once as a faithful servant, as someone that God honored, that God uh, gave favor to, and that, that responsibility came his way. He didn't just sit there and think, man, I'm just sitting here until God, you know what, God, you said it was going to be like this, and why do I have to be in these situations? He started to get busy serving another man, serving another woman, serving these people that God had brought into his life, and it prepared him for his promotion. See, Joseph was ready for it because he'd been in the pit. Joseph was ready for it because he'd been in the prison. And everything he had learned in these places had prepared him to step into the palace. See, Joseph's problem created a place for another person's answer. And in interpreting another man's dream, Joseph himself saw his dream fulfilled. I wonder what situation you're in, church. I wonder what season you're in right now, and maybe you're resenting it. Maybe God's positioned you even in a, in a in a foreign place. Maybe you're in a, a situation in your family, in your friendship circles, in your workplace where you feel like, I want to get out of this place. This is not, don't align up with, with my values. Don't align up with what I believe. But God has called you to serve in that place. 
And I believe that there are lessons, there are preparations, there are tests that if you would pass the tests, that God will elevate you in His due time. What are the lessons that you've learned today? What are the lessons that you're learning right now in this season that's going to prepare you for tomorrow? You know, I often see people go through different things and what I've realized is that sometimes our desert moments, our wilderness moment, our, our drought moments can actually be the thing that draw us closer to God. Actually, sometimes I notice that people are the closest, quite often I notice that people are the closest to the heart of God, to the plan of God, to the purpose of God, even in those low moments. And sometimes I see the opposite true where people, they've got it all going good. And they start to sort of think, well, you know, I'm living the blessed life. And they start to stop relying on God. They start to rely on their, what, they've, what they've made for themselves, the opportunities that have opened up for them. But, but God wants to teach us, even in this wilderness, even in these desert moments, would you learn the lessons that are going to keep you on course so that when you are promoted, when you have the opportunities, when you come into the next season, a better season, a season of blessing, a season of favor, don't forget the lessons that you learn in the pit and in the prison because they're the lessons that are going to carry you forward into your destiny. Can I get an amen this morning? See, Joseph had faced the test and he'd passed the tests. I would say he'd passed the real tests, not the test of his ability, not the test of his intellect, but the test of his character. See, the greatest test of a man's character, I believe, is not on the mountaintop moments, not in the, the moments of favor when you're getting all the answers to prayer and everything's happening to you and you're the one that's getting the promotion and you got the house and you got the job and all the different things and your health is good. But the real test of a man's character, the real test of a woman's character is in those low moments. Who are you? Who are you when things don't go right? Who are you when you have to wait? Who are you when you're overlooked? Who are you when no one else is watching and you're tested and you're tempted? Who are you in those moments? That's the true test of a person's character. And Joseph passed the test and he is promoted into a place of favor. See, who you are in the drought, it's who you are in the drought that decides how you're going to take hold of your destiny when that time comes. So you have to protect the dream, church, even when you go through a drought. Don't see it as God failed me. Don't see it as I got it wrong. Maybe I heard or felt or sensed something that just isn't true. See it as an opportunity to learn some lessons in the wilderness. See, there's, there's two sides of the promises of God, and, I, and I'm all for the blessed life. You know, there's a, a side of God's promises that says, hey, you are called, you are favored. Uh, he wants to bless your life. He wants to give you good things. He's a good, good father. And, you know, there's that side of God's promises that I'm all for. But there's another side of God's promises, and the Bible speaks just as much about this as the blessed life. There's a side of God's promises that says, I'm not going to take you out of the storm. I'm not going to come and just, you know, just my, my magic spell to just to, to remove all the obstacles, the persecution, to take you out of those moments. But I am going to give you the strength 
to walk through the storm because I want to produce in you an overcoming spirit that allows you to understand that there is something greater at work here if I would just start to lift my vision. And maybe God didn't want to just take Joseph out of the situation because he knew that there was something on a greater scale that was at play here. And the story continues in Genesis chapter 42. Soon after the drought had broken out over the land, Joseph, his brothers, came to Egypt just as many other people had come because the famine had got so great that it had started to affect not just Egypt but the surrounding nations. And they'd come to Egypt to buy grain. And, and Joseph's brothers, surprise, surprise, bow down before Joseph. But they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them and begins to play this game. I'm not sure exactly his motivation, but he's testing them. And uh, he starts to play this game of, of wondering, are, are these guys, he starts to accuse them of being spies. He starts to accuse them of, of coming to, to spy out the land. And, and, uh, and he asks them about his, their family. Tell us about your father. Tell us about, you know, do you have any other brothers? And, and they, they give him an honest reply. And he says, you need to go back and get your younger brother, Benjamin. Otherwise, I know that you're telling a lie and that you are spies in this land. And they eventually return with Benjamin, their brother. And they bow once again in the presence of Joseph. Joseph, And, and I love this. Finally, Joseph can't hold it in anymore. And this is what it says in Genesis 45. Verse 3, I am Joseph. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. I mean, could you just imagine their reaction? They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, I'm sure, very, very hesitantly. And so he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. I wonder if the worship team can come. Man, right there, this is the moment. This is the moment where finally a younger brother gets to have payback. It's like you guys dogged me 13 years ago on the highest order one step away from, oh, do we kill him? Don't we kill him? Oh, touch and go. Let's flick a coin. Let's just sell him. Sell him off for 20 pieces of silver, which in today's currency would be less than worth less than $100 to sell his life off, to get rid of the dreamer, to get rid of the problem. And right here, Joseph has been elevated, not just to, I mean, I just survived. You know, I've just come back and I, I'm going to just take you guys out. I, he has been elevated to a position that he could literally do whatever he wanted. And he would call an army. He would call guards. He could imprison them. He could do literally whatever he want as payback. And I think this tells more about how Joseph survived those 13 years than anything else in his story. His response is different. His response is unusual. 
He says in verse 5, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourself for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. What? It's crazy. It was God who sent me to preserve your lives. This famine has ravaged the land for two years and it will will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And He is the one who made me the advisor of Pharaoh, the manager of the entire palace and the governor of all of Egypt. And He tells them, hurry back to my father, your father Jacob, and tell him to gather all of his family, his grandkids, his children, come and live near me. And and, and they do it, what He says, and His family is restored. His family are provided for. His family survives through the, through the storms, through the famine, through the, through the drought seasons. What an amazing turnaround. What an amazing story. What should have been a tragic story. What began as a terrible situation of betrayal, of abuse, of letdown completely turned around for the glory of God. Completely turned around. I don't know what the story would have read like. I mean, we, we, we probably would have been fine to read and Joseph, then in prison, his brothers and the next thing and the next thing. We've gone, oh yeah. But to see and to read and to hear. Man, I can't believe it. See, Joseph He had a dream, and he realized that it was God. God was the one who not only was the dream giver, gave him the dream in the first place. It wasn't just God that he was the dream interpreter, but if God gave him the dream, then it would be God that would provide the way and the means to see the dream come to pass. It's only if we have that perspective. It's only if we have that understanding that we can face the persecution, the abuse, the letdown, the trials. It's only if we have the perspective that it doesn't matter what I go through, if God is in control, then God will make a way. It doesn't matter what I face, the seasons, the storms, the situations change. If God gave me the dream, if God has a plan that He will make a way to see it fulfilled in my life, This is not a story about one man. It's a story about a God, a God who is faithful, even when we are faithless, a God who is able when we're not, a God who wants to give us a dream, a purpose, a plan, a vision for our future, but He only doesn't just give us the dream. He is the one that is faithful to fulfill it in our lives, and we need to lift our eyes and our perspective to believe in a God who is more than able. See, through it all, Joseph kept his heart right. Not only that, he keeps his perspective right. See, he sees it differently because of what he's gone through. And he comes out of it differently because of how he sees it. 
I'll say it again. He sees it differently because of what he's gone through and he comes out of it differently because of how he sees it. He sees everything through the lens of his soul, a healthy soul. It was God who sent me, not you, not my trouble, not my persecution, not the people who forgot about me and let me down, not my upbringing, not my down moments. It was God. You let me down, but God has never let me down. In fact, God is so amazing that He can take a bad situation and use it to prepare us to step into His promise and His destiny in our lives. He can turn something that the enemy intended for destruction and turn it into good. See, Joseph passed all the tests, all the tests, all the preparation, but he went from successful into significant by using his dream to bless others, to touch others, to restore others. And Joseph was given the name in that land, God Speaks and God Lives. That's pretty cool, isn't it? In a pagan land. They realized there must be a God that lives and speaks. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.